Kiora and welcome to another podcast in the intriguing series People, Places and the Climate Crisis, a series where I have the privilege of interviewing 16 wonderful climate experts on climate and local government in the lead up to the local body elections in October. I'm Lindsay Wood from the Resilience Climate Trust and we're running this series in conjunction with Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access radio station. At the end of the podcast, I'll give you details of other ways you can listen as well as to this podcast. But now it's time for this interview with Dr. Joanna Santa Barbara, who is the chair of the fantastic organization, the Nelson Tasman Climate Forum. And Joanna will be sharing her wisdom with us on the theme of social cohesion and climate justice. She is the first of two guests on this theme, the other being Penny Molner, who is an outstanding person, person with an outstanding social record in the Nelson region. So first up, here is the conversation with Dr. Joanna Santa Barbara. I do hope you enjoy it. Well, using climate lingo, a co-benefit of conducting interviews is the extra insight into a guest's history. And even though Joanna Santa Barbara is a friend as well as a climate colleague, I found those insights both informative and, to be honest, humbling. Joanna grew up in Australia, qualified in medicine and psychiatry, then spent 30 years in Canada where she and her husband, Jack, raised their family. In that period, Joanna co-authored books on medicine and peace and on reconciliation, helped war-affected children in Croatia, Croatia and in Afghanistan, and was awarded the Order of Ontario for her work in peace studies. Fifteen years ago, New Zealand struck it lucky when the Santa Barbaras moved here. Since then, Joanna has been a pioneer in establishing various climate organisations and is currently co-chair of the Nelson Tasman Climate Forum. Joanna, it's an honour to welcome you to discuss a just transition in the context of climate and local government. Thank you, Lindsay. I enjoy every exchange with you, and I'm sure I'm going to enjoy this one. Thank you. Um, Can we start by exploring what's in this term, a just transition? It's a transition from what to what? And to whom does justice apply? For example, where do displaced farmers or disadvantaged businesses fit in, as well as badly affected individuals and families? Well, I think a lot of important meanings are wrapped up in those terms, Lindsay, and I do think it's relevant to electing our new councils. The transition or transformation part of it is from high to low in greenhouse gas emissions and and in consumption of stuff. This would mean lower energy availability and a global slowing of growth. We should respond to this by design ahead of time rather than let it happen and react. So I think some entire industries will shrink to near zero, notably fossil fuel industries, and unions rightly demand taking care of their workers in terms of retraining and money to tide people over livelihood transitions. I think this transition will particularly affect businesses associated with high greenhouse gas emissions like tourism, fashion, heavy construction with concrete and steel, and 
advanced thinking needs to be done about the shape of a regional economy in transition. More workers in alternative energy installations, eco-forestry to preserve and extend native forests and so on. And it it may involve shorter working weeks, uh, more leisure. Councils have to be involved in this kind of thinking and we need councillors who are able to work towards a, a transition vision. And then to just develop the the justice part of the term, starting with justice to workers, and clearly this transition means that some people will need to transition to new livelihoods. So, and we need to pay attention to groups that may be disproportionately affected. This effort needs to be in partnership with Maori groups, and it also needs to focus on uh, gender, disability, lower income groups, and so on. And that's not all. (laughs) I think that we, we need to consider a couple of other dimensions of justice. Uh, or just transition. We need to think about justice to the next generations rather than extracting Mm. from their wealth and leaving our kids and grandkids with much less capacity for good lives. I do like the slogan that Te Tau Ihu intergenerational strategy is adopted of being a good ancestor. And lastly, justice to the rights of all the other species with whom we share our regions. And some of those species are struggling for their very existence. We need counsellors who understand the necessary transition of the economy. And it's got to be done with justice. I I think that um, the sort of question that, that, that we could think of asking candidates for council positions about these matters we could ask, uh, for example, as as we transition to a lower low carbon economy, some businesses will shrink and some groups will be more disadvantaged than others. What are your thoughts on making this economic transition a just transition? Oh, wonderful. In terms of justice, can you comment on what that means in the space of job sharing or who gets the work and things like that, please? Yeah, I I can. Um, If we are consuming less on our way to a lower emissions economy, we are producing less. And and that that may mean hours of productivity need need to reduce Mm -hmm. and that we can maintain the same level of employment by reducing uh, work hours in the week. Many time poor people having more time with family. I'd like to roll on to question two, but it's often reported that at times of crisis, inequality increases and the disadvantaged become more disadvantaged, whether that's through price inflation or indeed climate impacts. As a primary function of local government is to provide equitably for the well-being of its citizens, how would you score our local councils, especially in a climate sense? And what, if anything, do you think they should do differently? 
Yeah, it's a question that's dear to my heart. <laughs> really glad you asked it Thank because you. Um, the baseline in Aotearoa is serious economic inequality. The wealthiest 1% own a quarter of the entire country, according that's, to that, Max Rashbrook. That's staggering, isn't it? It, it is. And, and inequality all by itself weakens the cohesiveness of a society. And on top of that, as you point out, various social stresses strain cohesiveness and it can fray and break. And we saw a bit of that with COVID. Mm. And most of the many things that can be done about this are actions at the national level, particularly affecting tax. Um, but I think that there are some important actions at a local level that could reduce inequality. By far the most important, important of these is affordable housing, mm. uh, which is an area in which councils are capable of acting Changing regulations to increase the density of our towns is likely to help with this alongside its good effect on climate emissions. And other things that will in, increase e equality in terms of living standards would be designing our urban areas around access to improved public services like parks, libraries, cycleways, but I, I think the the access of lower income sectors to public services really continues to need attention. My further suggestion about equitability may strike some some listeners as unusual, uh, but I, I want to suggest that introducing citizens' assemblies into mm. our democratic process would be another measure that would increase equitability. Where, where you have power of governance concentrated in upper income brackets, that, that will either worse, worsen or maintain inequity. But where, where you have the voices of lower income people in governance, that will tend to make our society more equal. So right. citizens' citizens' assemblies use random selection for participants. So that means obviously 10% of participants would be from the bottom 10th economically. Mm, okay. And listening to understand each other in, in a facilitated deliberation would only improve social cohesiveness. Mm. That sounds sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it's worth looking at, and in various in various places in the world. I'm happy to say, in the Hutt Valley, these ideas are being experimented with and wow. brought into action. So I think we need all the cohesiveness that we can muster as climate change bites harder. So I came up with another question for candidates uh, along these lines. So New Zealand has a very serious economic inequality problem. Are there things that you can do as councillor to address this? I would like to dial back a little bit into this inequality concept because you've mentioned a few times the question of reducing inequality, but I don't know how widely understood 
are the benefits of reducing inequality in a society because my understanding is they don't just extend to the lower income people, but their benefits extend pretty well across the board. Are you in a position to comment on why we should be pursuing a reduced inequality? Yeah, it obviously has benefits to to lower decile people if this, if society is more equal. That that mm-hmm. seems really obvious. What about upper deciles? Is it mm. are they going to be worse off? No, they're not. Um, <laughs> uh, for, there there are many. There's much evidence showing that some of the things that happen uh, in more equal societies, for example, less crime. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are quite a few health matters that that have have better levels in more equal societies. Just the the matter of social trust to be in a society where if you drop your wallet in the street, you have a fair expectation uh, that it'll be handed into a new shop or taken to the police station. That's actually used as a measure. Uh, International uses a measure of social trust. And, and, And what I'm hearing is that in more equal societies, we're more likely to get our wallet back. Yeah. Well, that's a wonderful example to to close off that answer. I'd like to change tack a bit now and talk about the sort of council strategies because, to me, there seems an emphasis on physical things in council responses to actual or predicted climate impacts, whether it's on coastal or flooding defences or infrastructure protection. However, important as these things are, it's also well known that the most resilient societies at times of crisis are usually those with good social cohesion. And you mentioned cohesive societies a minute ago, coupled with a preparedness for what might happen. So if you had a chance to shape council policy, what do you think you would prioritise in order to maximise the widespread and long-term benefits Right. Um, well, I, I think the the four ingredients of a society with resilience to crisis and upheaval are firstly social cohesion, as we have both agreed. Secondly, uh, in fact, physical preparedness of the kind that civil defence organises, which which very largely is is a matter of public education in preparing right. people. Thirdly, a higher level of self-sufficiency to carry people over long-term adverse events. We may have a better prepared society if we if we have local energy sources. Mm. But fourthly, people who are educated in the causes, effects and responses to climate change. And this this made me happy to see in our recently re- released emissions reduction plan mm-hmm. that that there will be school curricula which will lay the foundation of that education for children then i think coming to the councils i i think public education is an important function of councils and particularly in this area and i i think that they have been doing some good work in their publications on aspects of climate change, both in terms of lowering emissions or mitigation mm-hmm. and adapting to some of the adverse events. 
Also, I think we we have some good local journalists who are playing their part, but there's there's lots more to be done. I I think still the it, it, although it's clearly improving, but still the level of understanding climate change, its urgency, the magnitude of the transition that we've got to make in a short time and how this is going to affect us, I, I think there's there's actually a long way to go in public education. If I can jump again to take a bit of a different tack. There's quite, recently there's been quite a lot of discussion about buses and bus fares and whether we should have free fares and where and how often buses should run and how much they should be subsidised. And there's a big spectrum of views in the community on that. But to me, that illustrates that many facets of the problem we face are included in that issue. How would you like councils to approach the question of public transport in the region? I I have to say, Lindsay, I'm an advocate of free public transport. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it fits into the idea that the more universal basic services we can offer, the more equal our society becomes and therefore the more cohesive. So it joins on to the inequality issue there. Yeah, it, it does. Mm. And it it's important to make this transition fast because quite apart from the current supply strain on oil, the emissions trading scheme is designed to steadily raise the price of petrol. Of course. Um, That's how it works, so that we'll look for Mm. alternatives and stop buying and using it. And, of course, that reduces greenhouse gas emissions. But I noticed that people avoid, particularly people in governance, avoid speaking about that and and that the government's temporarily currently subsidising the rising price of oil. Mm. And we have to to say clearly the price of petrol has to steadily rise from Mm. here if, if the emissions trading scheme is going to actually work. But, of course, we've got to have access to good, frequent, reliable public transport. And making fares free is almost certain to bring about a speedier switch than we could otherwise expect. People are going to find this a hard transition, no doubt about it. But making fares free would be really helpful and at the same time increase social equality and cohesiveness. Mm. But... If we were forced into a trade-off between frequent and reliable buses on on the one hand and free fares on the other, I'd go for frequent and reliable because on surveys that's what people rate the highest. Yeah, that's really interesting. Another connection there is, is that, of course, if cities are denser, which they need to be, it becomes easier to to walk or cycle or skate or scoot Mm. to where you want to go and you don't need to use any energy uh, to get to your destination and you in particular will know well the idea of the 15 to 20 minute city Mm. uh, where you can get to where you want to work or play or learn, uh, enjoy a big green space in a within a short time. Mm. So I, I think that's another question that we should put to the candidates for council. I, I think we should say something like 
Public transport is a vital element of our climate response. And could you say how you'd advance public transport in our region mm. city? I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit, Joanna. There'll be plenty of people in the community who, for perhaps understandable reasons, will say, that's going to cost a lot of money. We've got to run more buses and we're giving people free rides on them. Who's going to pay for it and and why should I pay for it if I'm not using them? How would you answer people who who challenge in that way? I, I think you gave a portion of the answer to that, Lindsay, in, in that those who use public transport do a service for uh, for everybody's mobility. Mm. Um, tradespeople and others need need to use um, vehicle light vehicles, um, yeah. and life life will be easier for them if if lots of other people are on buses. Mm. So the public transport user is doing everyone a mobility service. So it's it's quite reasonable for everyone to pay. But furthermore, the public transport user is is doing the global atmosphere a service yes, on behalf indeed. of everyone. Mm, that's right. So I have no problem with everyone right. <laughs> helping yeah. to pay for, for this. Enrico Penascola, who was the mayor of Bogota in Colombia, <gasps> and I think he was on record as saying advanced cities are not where the poor drive cars but where the wealthy ride in buses. Um, Joanna, we're closing in on the end, I'm sorry to say. However, one of the real pleasures of having people like you on the show is that I can sort of give you the open mic, if you like, and say, what would be your top take-home messages over to you? I certainly am going to ask candidates about about how they're going to cut emissions, Mm. um, which Mm. is something, of course, that we haven't discussed. But I do think that this matter of addressing the serious inequality of wealth and income in Aotearoa is vital Mm. for social justice reasons and in this framework very much for climate reasons. And as we've got to move rapidly to make this transition, I think few of us realise how fast we are going to have to move. uh, You're right. It's vital that we leave no one behind and make it a just transition. Lovely. Well, on that note, I will thank you so much for your time and your very deep thinking on this. And I, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's blown away by the spread of the issues as well as the depth of your comments. So, Joanna, thank you very much for joining us on Climate Matters. You're so welcome, Lindsay. Well, it's always such a privilege to be able to hold a conversation with someone like Joanna, who's got so much breadth of wisdom and knowledge and thoughtful insights. Very much appreciated. Now, I always promise to give you listening options for the series. And so you can listen to the full interviews with each guest on their own podcast. And these are available on Spotify, Apple and other main platforms and can be linked from my firm's website, which is at www.resilience, that's R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-Z, resilience.co.nz, where you can navigate to our podcast page, and that will give you the full schedule of these um, episodes, plus background information, as well as information on the Fresh FM broadcast series and the podcasts of their radio shows, 
where most interviews are condensed to about half their length. As always, a big shout out to Kahu Sanson Burnett, who's my invaluable sound tech and podcast whiz. And of course, a big shout out to you, our listeners. Thank you so much for joining this important discussion. We've many more fascinating experts coming up on the series, and I do hope we enjoy your company for them too. Including next up, as I mentioned, with Penny Molnar, QSM, who is something of a social organisation legend in the Nelson Tasman region. And as always, Kia Kaha for the climate.